Well, we've been looking at Jesus, and he's been having this dialogue with uh, the crowds and uh, the religious leaders, and there's been disagreement over who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. Some people uh, felt like he was a good person, and then other people uh, within the crowd, and also particularly the religious leaders, uh, thought that he was leading people astray. And what the disagreement was uh, in this passage, since this is, uh, they pick out uh, something about the law as a means of accusing Jesus, you, you can see what the disagreement is. The, the disagreement is, is that a good section of the people, and particularly those uh, in authority, uh, the religious leaders, believed that their security as a nation, their identity as a nation, uh, their personal life, uh, things that they had, uh, their place in society, that it had to have uh, some sort of connection to them honoring what God has to say. In other words, looking at the commands that God gave and following them. Uh, they felt like it, it wasn't a disagreement about forgiveness. The, the whole sacrifice system and them being at the temple was all about forgiveness. It, it was the type of forgiveness that Jesus was talking about. Their idea of forgiveness was, okay, you messed up, but now you really need to get things right. And if you don't get things right, then you're going to suffer consequences for it. And there's not too much that we can do about it. I mean, we can forgive you again, give you another fresh start, but it's always going to come back down to at some point, if you want to enjoy things like we are and enjoy the security, that it's going to amount to there being some sort of compliance to the law. And Jesus was saying, no, actually, that's not true. <laughs> that the security that we have, the, who they were as a nation, the prosperity that some people had, he says it, that's an incorrect inference that you're making. That you feel as though God will bless those who do good. So when I good things happen to me, the inference that I make is that I must have done something right. He said, that would be the case if that was our only hope. But he says, what Jesus has been telling them is that they need a different type of salvation, one that doesn't involve them hearing the right laws or having the right laws and, and then doing them. And, and forgiveness is just sort of a reset to that. What they need is a salvation that's going to come completely outside of them. One where God is going to save us even though we're never getting anything right. <laughs> and he said that he's been pointing out to them that when things happen in your life, it might just be because God's just continually forgiving you <laughs> and just loves you and cares about you and is doing good things and it may not have anything whatsoever to do with anything that you've done that's right. 
And so the reason why they're getting upset at him about that is that when you have your hope and your identity is based on this idea that you've that the good things that you're enjoying in your community and the good things that you're enjoying in your life, that it's dependent on people seeing what the right thing is to do and doing it like you do. When someone says that's not true or says that that's a false hope or starts to point out things about you that are incorrect that would make that so that you would be able to see that that's not true, that's a very threatening thing. And you start to feel like this person is leading people astray and it's wrapped up in you feeling like a fear that you have that you're going to lose something. And it's also a fear that if, you know, we'll just enter this state of lawlessness, a lot of times people will bring out that word. And there's this hope that the law is somehow holding us back and keeping us in check, and providing something for us. And that that's what God's Word is talking about. And when you take the idea of forgiveness to the extreme that Jesus was taking it, it's a, it's a natural thing, if you have that hope, to feel like you're disrespecting God disrespecting what the Bible has to say, not taking the Bible seriously. And the fear that's behind not taking that seriously is the fear that if there isn't some sort of fear of consequences, if there isn't some sort of indication of people getting things because they've done the right thing, if you take all that away, then there'll be no reason for anyone to do anything. We'll just slip into chaos. There's a, a fear in everything that I have that I feel like I've attained. There's a selfishness that's there because you've built up this idea and this image of yourself that's being torn down also. But, but there's also something rooted deeply in your, your hope for progress and your hope for security uh, being, feeling as though it's being taken away. And so what they've decided, which is always the case, and this is where, why this is always the ultimate conclusion that comes to, is they feel like, look, we're trying to step up and tell people this guy's leading them astray, but people, I mean, maybe I'm making an inference here, but I'm sure they felt like this. The, the masses are just too stupid to, hear, to, to not be fooled by this guy. What we're just not going to be... The only solution is we really need to get rid of this person. We need to uh, shut, down show, shut down social media for a week or something. I don't know. <laughs> we need to somehow... They had been trying to do that, limited. But it finally came down to, no, the, 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 the thing that we're going to have to do is we're really going to have to just kill this guy. That's about the only way we're going to be able to get this to stop. And it has to happen in order for the good of who we are and the good of our community, uh, this source that's leading us to not believe in the hope of us having a law and, and abiding by that law 
and knowing what's right and doing it. In, in order for that to, to succeed and to reign, we have to get rid of this message. And so what they're doing in this is they're looking for a legal reason to, I mean, what they're going to do is murder, but let's just put it in a generic terms, killing. They're looking for a legal reason to do this. And so they bring up this issue of this woman, and they choose this, maybe because it was opportune or, or whatever the case was. But the point of why they're bringing this all up and why this is an issue really has nothing to do with the woman, really has nothing to do with the idea of adultery. It really has to do with the message that Jesus has been talking about, and that's why the whole thing is couched in Jesus coming and teaching in the temple to people. It really has to do with them desiring to see that message stopped. And the way that they thought it would best to justify it in the eyes of people is to take an issue and try and show that Jesus isn't taking the Bible seriously because he's not joining with them in the condemnation of this woman. That, that was sort of their hope. And what Jesus does is he... Uh, he does nothing. <laughs> he just stoops down. I, I mean, writing on the ground, I'm, in my mind, I think that's the equivalent of like sitting down, pulling out your phone, and playing solitaire. <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know how you do that when everything's going crazy sometimes and maybe even people are arguing or something like that? You just sort of pull out your phone. It's like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to sit here. It's just a way of sort of, he's just silent. And you could take the silence as him ignoring a problem, but, but he's not ignoring the problem. Jesus has been teaching and trying to explain to people what the problem is. He's also been going around and uh, feeding people. He, he's been, you know, we find out in other passages, he's been raising money to not just feed people miraculously, but also just raising money to have money to buy food for people and to do different things. Uh, he, he's been... He hasn't been silent in terms of pointing out the things that the religious leaders were, were saying was hypocrisy. But what he comes to a silence on, or what he uses silence for here, is this situation where they're pressing him and feeling like they're going to gain something by putting him in this box where he'll have to either join with them in condemning someone, which will invalidate the message that he's given, or else he'll just not join in, in which case he'll say there is no importance in terms of he'll, be, he'll mark himself off as being lawless and not abiding by laws and not seeing the value of it and not seeing the value of, of what God is giving in the Bible, that he's not taking the Bible seriously. And to that, Jesus just stays silent. It's not ignoring a problem. He's just determining that he's not going to be doing things as a reaction to the pressure that people are putting on him to either join with them in judging other people or, or not. 
he's going to do what he's going to do aside from all that and not allow his actions and the way he's thinking and the things that he says to be confined to a reaction to them and what they're trying to do. And the problem with what they're trying to do is seen in basically what's just come out in the thing. And it actually starts with the fact that it says that they brought a woman who was caught in the very act um, that would infer that they walked in and there was a, in their context in this, I'm just, it would infer that there was a guy there. But the guy's not there. He's not brought before anybody. Nothing's even said about that. In other words, the law that they want to enforce is being selectively enforced. That's one problem. And the other problem is the only reason why they're enforcing or talking about it is because of what they hope they will gain from the enforcement of it. And that's really the problem with all laws. Even laws that God gives himself. One, our laws are not necessarily always just. Sometimes we just make laws. Two, all laws are always selectively enforced. I remember growing up, there was a... worked in a city, and there was... I think I brought up this example before. Between the hours of two and four in the morning... On one day out of the week, in the poorest neighborhood of the city where there was all apartments, you were not allowed to park on the street. There wasn't street sweeping. They didn't do street sweeping back then. It was just a law that was made. And every officer had to write so many tickets during that period of time, and the tickets added up to being about what they were missing in their margin on their budget because it changed every year. It was a law. People parked there. They broke the law. Now they're getting what they deserve, right? Not all laws are just laws. Just says something's a law. Not, well, why is it only enforced in this neighborhood? Laws are always selectively enforced. Any police officer, I don't know if they train you in this anymore, but Police officers uh, used to be told, especially highway patrol officers, I, I know from talking to them, that it is absolutely impossible. It's, it's physically impossible for anyone to drive on the road. Not just their vehicle, it's impossible to make a vehicle, and it's impossible to drive that vehicle without breaking the law. Therefore, you always have a reason to pull someone over. <laughs> It's just up to you to decide whether or not that laws are... We don't take that into account that they're selectively enforced. And the other thing that we don't take into account is when they're brought up, they're always brought up for reasons that people are hoping to gain something from it. And the reason why that is is because we're corrupt. 
corrupt people do corrupt things. It doesn't matter how great of a law you have. If you have a corrupt people, if everybody is corrupt, as Jesus says, then there's a big problem (laughs) with this. (laughs) I mean, there's going to be some corruption in making the laws. There's going to be corruption in enforcing the laws. There's going to be corruption in the reasons why that it's there. There's, but we just cling so much that the only way we can cling to it and hold it as a hope is if there is a hope that I'm not corrupt. That there's a group of people that aren't corrupt. Or there's a group of people that are just trying really hard and making pretty good progress. It may be a little bit corrupt, but their goodness is really going to shine through in the end. That's kind of what the hope ends up being. And you can see why Jesus is just sort of knocking that down and just saying, I don't know. I think you could probably look around, look in history, look at yourself, look at other people. That's probably not true. (laughs) So then how is it that anything good is happening? Jesus has been saying, well, it's not because we've had these good intentions and we're just, you know, heading down this road. And and he brings out the, the core of the problem here and what he finally says. He says, when they kept on questioning him or persisted, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the first, the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stoops back down and writes on the ground again. He just comes up, says that one thing. And then it says, At this, those who heard go away one at a time, the older ones first. It would be great. Yeah, never mind. It's a nice detail. I don't know if it's always true, but it's a nice detail. Now that I'm getting older, I, I... it's like the benefit of being older is maybe I'll be the first one to walk away from this. <laughs> maybe I'll be the first one to realize, yeah, I've pretty much messed things up. <laughs> maybe I'll be the first one to realize, yeah, this probably isn't true, that I'm going to be able to figure out the right thing and do it, and that everything that's good in my life is dependent on me having done the right Maybe I'll be the first, I, I, I don't know. It'd be great if it happened. It happened in this case, so I give it to their culture and their society that the older left first. Anyway, sorry. It says, until only Jesus was left and the woman was standing with him. You know, in... When Israel, I've been thinking about maybe in the fall we'll go through some of these stories of Israel leaving Egypt and coming to the promised land because it's come up so much as we've been looking in the Gospels. And it's hard to just talk about these stories in, um, in a quick example, but I'll, I'll try to tap on another one. When Israel went through the, was saved by God, um, They didn't defeat, there was no battle where they defeated the armies of Egypt. Uh, What happened was God parted the Red Sea and Egypt 
carelessly went in after him and got close to sea and defeated the army. Um, they didn't plan and bring bread and things. That, it fell from heaven. And they had meat to eat from heaven. The victories that they had, one of the victories when Moses' hands were raised, they were victorious. When his hands got tired and lowered, they started losing. <laughs> there, there are these clear signs of God saying, everything that I've been doing, he doesn't even bring them straight into the land. He brings them in a roundabout way so that they have time to learn something that you would learn in old age, to walk away from this idea. He brings them to the land and tells them to send out 12 spies. They send up 12 spies to come back and say the land is wonderful. Uh, people are big there, but look at all that the Lord has done for us so far. It's a wonderful thing what the Lord is about to give us. And the other 10 said, no, I mean, the people are too big. We're never going to be able to, to survive. We're not going to win. That's the difference that Jesus is talking about. Two people looked at all the things that had happened in the life of their country and their community and themselves up to that point and recognized that God's been doing it all along. I mean, I don't know. Is it harder to open up the Red Sea? Is it harder for manna to rain down from heaven? Is that, you know, easier than like him allowing us to do this? But 10 looked at it, and somehow along the way, all that had just been forgotten, and somehow they had reworked it that everything had to, some amount of their power and might had to be present in order for this completion to happen, for them to enter into the promised land, enter into what you might even call heaven. There has to be some sort of connection to us being able to do something. And because of that, Everyone went into mourning and said, oh, Moses is leading us out here. You know, there, there's a recognition of some guilt there because the first thing I think is God's bringing us out here to kill us. You know, they don't see that everything that God has been doing has been based on forgiveness up till that point. It had nothing to do. Of course, they're guilty, but he had been forgiving them the entire time, continuously. And so they said, let's stone, which is correlating to this and correlating to what they're going to do at the end of this chapter where they try and stone Jesus. Let's stone Moses and raise up a new leader and go back to Egypt, which is slavery and genocide to them. It sounds unreasonable, but if your hope is set on you having to accomplish something, you're going to reach these moments of fear and do all sorts of things that... And God just said. He had already told Moses. Moses had said, look, I don't feel like we could really go forward unless you're with us. And God said, look, if I was to come into the camp, I would end up just destroying everyone. (laughs) Because, you know, with me comes justice. I can't be amongst you without destroying everyone, which is what the promise of Jesus is. And what's so amazing is God coming amongst us as one of us. But in this case, he finally tells Moses, look, I'm just going to wipe everybody out because everybody there deserves to die. And I'll start up a new nation with you. How does Moses 
take the law of God seriously? And how, how does God, Moses take the righteous judgment of God seriously? And how does Moses take seriously the fact that people are breaking the commands of God and, and deserving punishment? How, how does he take all that seriously? And how does he take God seriously? How he takes God seriously and, and the judgment of God is he says to God, God, because of your loving kindness, you, you just have to forgive them. He asks for forgiveness. That's how he takes it serious. He doesn't take it serious by saying, yeah, you know, you probably should just destroy all these, and I am a better person and probably would a better hope to get a nation. He doesn't, that's not taking it seriously. <laughs> You're not taking God's law seriously or, or the commands of God seriously or taking the Bible seriously by joining into some sort of pressurized thing of joining into the condemnation of some select person that's been sort of cherry-picked out of the situation for reasons that someone else has. That's not taking the law seriously. If you want to take it seriously, how Moses took it seriously is just said, God, forgive us, forgive me, forgive them, forgive us as a nation, forgive our community. And from that one person, I, I think that maybe, I can't remember the story, maybe Joshua and Caleb joined in with them, but, but just for, you know, small group, I, but I think it might have just been one person, I can't remember, but you get the point. From Moses asking for forgiveness, none of the people asked for forgiveness. The nation didn't turn to forgiveness. There's no recognition that what they had done, but just him as the representative of them. Because he repented, and he was a part of them, and he represented them, God forgave them. That's taking the law seriously. That's taking God's judgment seriously. In order to take it serious, you have to include yourself in the guilt of what's going on. And ask yourself, do I want them to be carried away? Because then I'll be carried away too. And what Jesus is saying here is, it's... It starts this uh, whatever's to be learned from Jesus being silent and from people walking away from this, uh, the older folks first. It starts in our minds, and you know what that situation is. Whatever it is that happens, blah, blah, blah. Something's happened. It it could be something very serious. It could be something completely slight and misunderstood. But there occurs this moment in your brain when you start thinking about how wrong this person was and how messed up what they're doing is and how, you know, this isn't the way that it should happen. And you start building up this case in your mind. And sometimes it's someone that you hate. Sometimes it's someone that you love. Sometimes it's your kids. Sometimes it's your parents. It it doesn't matter. We do the same thing for everybody. (laughs) But that starts this little like building a case and feeling like there has to be something good that's going to come out of them recognizing how bad they've been to you and how this and how, and there's a little bit of this thing like I wouldn't act that way towards, there's all these little tidbits to start promoting. Jesus is, 
basically, the best thing we could do is just silence that. Just walk away from it. If you need to pull out your phone and play a little video game, pull it out. That's great. If you want to go do some artwork, do that if you need something. But just, there's nothing to be gained from that. You don't need to argue it through. You don't need to figure out whether or not you're right or they're right and like try and whistle. You're always going to come out to you being right in some sort of way. Just walk away from that. And the reason why it's seen here at the end, one, we're not capable of having that discussion. We're just not going to be able to reason that the right way. It's always going to be selective and, and motivated by some sort of gain. Two, whatever it is that they might be guilty of, we're just as guilty of, if not more. But the real reason comes out here at the end. He says, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now, when he says, go and sin no more, the way that you answer that betrays which side of this hope we're on. Because if you take that to mean that Jesus now told her, okay, now you can't mess up anymore. You know, you've, you've received forgiveness, this new break, now don't mess anymore. I mean, what do you think? Do you think she never messed up again? <laughs> take a look at your own life and you answer that question. <laughs> What he's saying is, is you've received forgiveness. But the weight or the knowledge that I'm just doing things that are wrong, that's going to continue. That doesn't like, it's not like that's, it's like, it's not solving it by saying, oh, well, actually, there's nothing wrong going on. Or actually, you know, anything, there's nothing wrong. Actually, it was just a communication problem and we worked that, you know. He's saying, no, there's something wrong. And that remains. But when Jesus says, let anyone who hasn't sinned throw the first stone, the only person there that hadn't sinned, according to the story, is Jesus. So what he represents is that someone who will make that right delineation between lives, who won't, judge it selectively, who hasn't sinned, that in that case, is there something to be gained then by throwing their first stone? And Jesus is saying no. It's the same thing that happened when he first started. When he first started his ministry, we looked at it. John the Baptist was baptizing for the repentance of sin, and lots of people were coming because they realized we need repentance. And it was a national phenomenon that was going on of realizing we need Repentance. The people in power were having difficulty with that, but they were feeling like they needed to connect to it because it was just this national phenomenon. And that type of thing happens all the time. But Jesus came and he said, John, baptize me. And John said, well, you don't need to be baptized. You, know, you don't have anything to repent for. And Jesus says, no, just do it at the same because I have need to be baptized by you. He says, no, just do it. And after he was baptized and he went up from the water, 
for the repentance of sin, even though he was a person who didn't need to repent for anyone, but chose to say, I'm going to relate to God my Father on the basis of what everyone else has, which is repentance. When he rose up, God's declaration at that point was, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, what he had in relating to God through repentance, even though he didn't need to relate to God through that, he chose to because that's the way we are. It still came out with this exclamation of God, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, there's nothing to be gained by going down this road anyways. (laughs) Even if you could figure out the right way of doing this, even if you were right in your evaluation, even if you could try and do something where you earn something, you wouldn't get anything better than this is my son in whom I am well pleased. God's willing to give it to us on the basis of forgiveness. And I'm saying it in the terms of it's the same, and maybe that's the best place to leave it, but I'm just going to take it a step further because of the choices that Jesus made in highlighting this, that I actually think it's actually better what you have through forgiveness. Whatever you hope to obtain by creating some sort of laws or creating some sort of rules and gaining some sort of thing and being able to do this or protect this by you being able to do the right, whatever it is that you hope to obtain from that, What God is willing to give you out of graciousness and forgiveness is just as good, if not better. (laughs) The way that you want to feel like someone's pleased with you, the love that's there, that can be there through repentance, through forgiveness. What Jesus is, I think saying to us that, one, there's really no logical reason for us to participate in people pressuring us to condemn some sort of group of people because it should be, logically speaking, obvious to us just looking at the story that that's all selective, that they've picked an issue and picked people and they've done it for a reason and it's just there's corrupt and you don't need to participate in it. If you want to, go ahead. But you're not taking God seriously by doing that. And maybe you don't care about that. That's fine then. That when someone's ready to, you feel like, and other people are saying, finally get what they deserve, maybe it's, you don't have to walk in that. You can walk away from that. And the reason why is, one, all of that that we do is corrupt. It's corrupt because we're all corrupt. But God still loves us and cares about us. And that's the kind of salvation that Jesus is addressing. One where we're not able to save ourselves. One where we're not able to set up some sort of system. And one where we're not doing things out of fear. One where we're doing things as a response to the love and grace that God has has for us. 
just in closing, the only motivating factor in the world is not the fear of punishment. There's other motivators. One is a heart that just loves someone. And that's what God is putting out there. We love because he first loved us. All those verses that talk about God. For God so loved the world. What he's doing is he's trying to make clear his love to us. And the reason why he's trying to make clear his love to us. And he's given us a salvation that is not at all tied to fear of death and fear of punishment. But he's left it wide open. Because what God's hoping for is a voluntary response to us seeing how much he loves us and cares for us. And for us to see that that's actually what it is that we really want, is we want to have a loving relationship, not where everyone's loving out of fear and and, uh, punishment or that you're going to leave them or that they're going to leave you or that this is messed up with this, but just one that survives through forgiveness and just seeing that God is just pouring out his love as he did with them in the wilderness, that everything that was happening wasn't happening by our accord, but it was happening because he loves us and cares about us, and that as we see that love, that it'll change our heart and affect it, and that we'll do things, we'll have a law of liberty that's pumping from a heart that is changed because we have that approval and that love that we seek from from God. And it's there because we want to head in that direction. And then we're trapped into the situation where Paul describes where what we want, we're just not able to get done because our body, everything's so messed up, but we want it really badly to be able to do something. We're not being forced to do it. It's where we want to go. Let's pray and... uh, So I pray, I want to give an opportunity as we sing these last couple songs. If anyone would like to accept Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to be up here and I'll I'll pray with you. And and if there's anyone that has anything that's been pressing on their heart, it's just something that's been bothering you, you've been struggling with something, or you just need some help and you'd like to ask God for some help, uh, come up and and I'll pray for you for that too. Uh, Let's stand and pray together and We'll stay standing for these last couple songs. Jesus, we just uh, just ask for forgiveness and not seeing the gift that you give us and help us make it clear to us, Lord. Uh, change our hearts by seeing how loving and forgiving you've been to us. Lord, I just pray that you would just bring us to a place where we're uh, not joining in to the condemnation and the hope that comes from from this condemnation, but that we really tie our hope to you and, and what you're doing for us on the cross and the love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that this week you would really come near to us. And, and if this is your message, I pray that you would make it clear in our lives. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.